Welcome, everyone. Seems like we're pretty fortunate that we have an evening to spend talking about serenity. And uh, one of the things it seems like we tuned into as a group last time is uh, starting to have a more direct sense of the power of just bringing the qualities to mind. That that simply that capacity to bring the qualities to mind has an effect on the mind. So I want to spend a few minutes uh, just reviewing this discourse, the section from the Satipatthana or the mindfulness discourse where the Buddha is talking about the seven factors of awakening. And in a very real way, we're taming the mind. And uh, <clears throat> one of the scholar monks, Piridasi, Venerable Piridasi, talks about how we often equate freedom with our mind being unrestrained. It's like that mind can do whatever it wants. And how that's, I mean, he suggests it's really a false notion. What the freedom that we're interested in is really taming the mind. You know, the mind that is compelled to do this and to do, to do that. You know, I'm sure you've seen different examples of time-lapse photography, but can you imagine if somehow skillfully we were able to get our, our day captured with time-lapse photography where we could sit down for a couple of minutes and just see physically, just see physically our restless movements, our fidgeting, going here, going there, looking out this window, you know, fiddling with this, let alone if somehow we could capture the movements of our mind, if somehow we had that, you know, camera that was recording the thoughts, images, all the different movements of the mind here and there, up and down, pushing and pulling. We'd really get how agitated we are. I listened to Joseph Goldstein's talk this morning in the series on the Satipatthana and the Four Foundations of Mindfulness on this particular subject of the um, tranquility as one of the awakening factors. And he talks about an image that also both I think both Wen and I were very struck with. He talks about seeing the nuns and other lay women in the Burmese monasteries and how they seem to ex exemplify the quality of calm. And um, it was just amazing. You'd see, you know, some of them were nuns, some of them maybe were temporary nuns just ordained for the period of the retreat, and others were just lay women practicing for a couple weeks or a couple months. But they would all, you know, come into the dining hall together, leave together. There were a few other times during the day where we'd, I'd see them. And, um, But to see people moving in that graceful, relaxed, one thing at a time manner is is really a, 
I think, a wonderful definition of beauty. The beauty of an animal uh, being fully present, doing one thing at a time, and with no unnecessary tension in the body and the mind, that's really a beautiful thing to see. That's a nice uh, example or sort of an image we can use. And serenity or tranquility has both a physical and a psychological component. So in the experience of tranquility, the Buddha talks about a composure or a release in the body as well as a real subtleness in the mind, too. Just like restlessness, in a way, the opposite of tranquility, it has both a physical and a psychological component when we talk about the hindrance of restlessness. You know, uh, restlessness and remorse sometimes are paired together. So we're talking about physically being agitated, but the mind is also agitated. It's not settled. It's remorseful. So we're, you know, when we hear these instructions, we're thinking about training the mind. Just like in the, um, I paraphrase the Buddha's teachings and in the instructions tonight on mindfulness of breathing. And the first set of, inst- uh, the first set of four instructions, the Buddha, uh, first he invites us to know the in-breath and know the out-breath and to know whether it's long or short knowing the breath coming in, whether it's long and short. So it's just a simple knowing. But the the second, the third and fourth instructions in that first set is training the mind. You know, I will train the mind, breathing in, uh, feeling, knowing the whole body, aware of the whole body, breathing out, knowing the whole body. So this is a training. We're directing the attention when we're breathing in to be inclusive with the in-breath. So aware of the in-breath, aware of the whole body breathing in. Aware of the out-breath, aware of the whole body breathing out. And then the fourth instruction is training, again, this invitation to train the mind, breathing in, calming the mind, breathing out, calming the body, rather. So breathing in, calming the body, breathing out, calming the body. So we're directing intending for the mind. And remember that when we talked, I think, last week about feeding and starving these factors, remember that the way we feed these factors, develop the wholesome qualities of mind, is through appropriate attention. It's by paying attention to the factor in the appropriate way that is the cause for it to develop. And it's not paying attention to it, or not paying attention to it in an appropriate way, that is the cause for it not to develop. So we have to be interested in these qualities. Like I mentioned again in the guided sit, you know, the first four qualities, the continuity of mindfulness with serenity. So we're maintaining a thread of knowing the experience of calm or serenity or tranquility in the mind and body. And we're investigating it. Like, for example, we're really noticing how skillful that quality is. 
Remember, investigation is the wisdom function of these factors. So that means as we're knowing something, the continuity of mindfulness, we're understanding what we know in terms of the maps that the Buddha gave us. Like, you know, primarily the different maps the Buddha gave us are ways of understanding what's wholesome and what's unwholesome in the mind. What qualities of mind lead to toward balance and clarity and the releasing of the heart and mind? And what qualities of mind lead to agitation and delusion or you know, a darkening or a, a not seeing clearly in the mind, right? So investigation with serenity means we've got the continuity of mindfulness and we're mindful in a continuous way of the experience of calm. And we're investigating, mean, meaning we're seeing moment by moment what a wholesome quality it is. Like uh, in Joseph Goldstein's talk, he mentions in the Abhidhamma, the um, commentaries that rose up after the time of the Buddha, they talk about, you know, like often is the case with wholesome factors, when we develop a wholesome factor, all of its good friends come along for the ride. So he talks about uh, with, uh, with tranquility or serenity, uh, a kind of wildiness, like the mind is really adaptable just knows how to, you know, it's nimble. It knows how to fit, relate, be in the moment. And proficiency is another one of the friends that hangs around with tranquility. Now, we don't think about adaptability or um, wildiness, and we don't think about proficiency when we think about tranquility. Because I think we have an idea that tranquility is sort of a dull state of mind. But remember... <laughs> In this sequential development, it's the strong experiences of joy, joyful interest, rapture, that then leads to tranquility. So there's a lot of energy. It's now, though, because desire is falling away, you know, as we feel more tranquil, more serene, desire falls away. So there's a lot of energy, but, but it, we don't need to do anything with it. Not that we're afraid to do anything with it, but it's just like a potential energy, just there, like a, like a brightness with no agenda. So that's the, um, that's the wildiness, the nimbleness, and that's the proficiency, you know, like the competence or skill. And the other uh, word, there are a couple others, but one that kind of struck me is serenity. And, and the way Joseph talked about this makes a lot of sense. It's like when we're tranquil, there's a natural honesty in the mind. It's like because we're feeling tranquil, serene, we don't have to put a spin on anything. So the, there's a, like a moral rectitude is another way to translate that. It's like we're willing to see things, understand things in a very straight way. So you can just, you know... Probably just hearing these words and your own experience, maybe even something left over from the sit, we can imagine moving through the world in this way, where that tranquility is a very functional way to move through the world. And that was the image, you know, when I when I've happened to be around people who have a really strong 
experience of tranquility, that, that was the sense that, that they could just do what was ever next. And there was a real efficiency, you know, because there's the absence. I mean, by definition, tranquility is the absence of restlessness, you know, kind of random movements, inefficient movement of mind and body. And so there's a, a deliberateness about tranquility. Again, not necessarily what we'd imagine when we think about tranquility with our conventional attitude or definition. But to see tranquility as a real power, uh, a real uh, you know, nimbleness and uh, a functional way to be in the world, to be chilled out. You know, when we're not caught in desire, not caught in agitation and restlessness. It's really easy to do what's next, just to let our heart, body, mind pour into whatever's next. And so just reading from the discourse, so I'll start with the um, section about rapture if the joy awakening factor is present in her, she knows there is the joy awakening factor in me. If the joy awakening factor is not present in her, she knows there is no joy awakening factor in me. She knows how the unarisen joy awakening factor can arise and how the uh, arisen joy awakening factor can be perfected to development. So, when you know when we're investigating uh, tranquility and we see how wholesome it is of course we're inspired to make a full commitment that's the energy factor right and when we make that full commitment there's a real joy in that full commitment rapture it's like uh, at first you know it's like I'm inspired but but as we commit more and more it just it's almost like, uh, um, you know, we get to the top of the hill and then it's like easy to commit. There's enough momentum and there's a feeling of joy because it is a wholesome state as we make the effort, commit the energy to be interested in serenity, to look at it. There's a tipping point where because it's a wholesome state of mind, maybe we'd say a natural state of mind or a a resonant state of mind that after enough commitment it uh, something starts to release we call that joy or rapture where the experience of serenity sort of has its own movement we don't have to make any willful effort at all and from the joy then into serenity if the tranquility awakening factor is present in her, she knows there is the tranquility awakening factor in me. If the tranquility awakening factor is not present in her, she knows there is no tranquility awakening factor in me. She knows how the unarisen tranquility awakening factor can arise and how the arisen tranquility awakening factor can be perfected by development. And in the... Uh, Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse where the Buddha breaks down in, right at the beginning, you know, the three stages 
It's really the definition for appropriate attention. So again, these wholesome factors come to their development, their perfection, through one cause, paying attention in an appropriate way to them. And appropriate attention, the Buddha breaks down in three ways. So I'm paraphrasing now, but you know, the first stage of paying appropriate attention to the wholesome qualities like serenity is to see it in and of itself. So when we're, you know, developing our continuity of mindfulness with calm, you know, we're going to see the opposite, restlessness. And when we see restlessness, instead of judging ourselves, we're going to practice seeing restlessness in and of itself. Not in terms of who we think we are. Oh, I'm a restless person. Just the experience of restlessness as a mental quality. And if instead of restlessness, there's already some serenity in the mind, then we're just seeing the serenity in and of itself. Not in terms of mark. Oh, I'm a serene person but just the actual psychological and physical experience of calm. That's the first stage. And then the second stage of that continuity of mindfulness, or what we'd call appropriate attention, is to see it in terms of cause and effect. Again, whether we're looking at the opposite of restlessness or the tranquility itself, it's like, how does the tranquility develop? How does it fall apart? How does the restlessness get stronger? How does it fall away? So with the continuity of attention, we're beginning to see that it's always dynamic. It's either like the tranquility is either getting stronger or it's getting weaker, or the restlessness is getting stronger or weaker. And we're beginning to understand how it all works. So it's not just knowing whether knowing tranquility as tranquility or restlessness as restlessness, but understanding that it's a very alive thing these wholesome and unwholesome qualities. It's very dynamic, you know? And either the mind is coming into a more and more beautiful, balanced, wholesome state, or it's falling out of a wholesome state toward unwholesome states, restlessness, for example. And then the third, the sort of ultimate stage or ultimate expression of appropriate attention the factor that brings the wholesome qualities of mind to perfection is basically the mindfulness is maintained to such a degree, the simple knowing, that uh, there's, there's no clinging, there's no strategizing to make it develop. It's sort of a, a breakthrough where we understand that the way we allow the tranquility to really develop and, and perfect itself and allow the restlessness to fall away completely is to get out of the way. Because it disturbs the tranquility to want to be more tranquil. It's restless. It causes restlessness. It agitates the mind to want to be tranquil. So this third stage of, of mindfulness is when, as we deepen our understanding of cause and effect, like the cause for restlessness to come and go or the cause for tranquility to come and go, as the, we have more and more insight about how that dynamic unfolds, we, we begin to appreciate this special way, this hands-off way, so that the awareness 
that sort of awareness of the tranquility itself and its opposite restlessness, that is enough to allow the tranquility to develop. If we have that balanced mindfulness, restlessness will fall away, tranquility will deepen. And we want to see this over and over again, how uh, we want to begin to gain faith in this deeper, uh, more subtle expression of mindfulness because it's a, it's a heavy trip to have to get rid of unwholesome states and develop wholesome states. And to see that simple awareness itself does the job is a real relief that the wisdom that does the work is embedded in the mindfulness. The, Ananda was talking to the Buddha once, and often is the case, Ananda asks the Buddha questions. He was really into understanding the teachings and evidently had like a perfect memory, so whatever the Buddha told him, he wouldn't forget and would be able to tell other people. So the once the Ananda asked, he said, O Venerable One, what is the reward and blessing of wholesome morality, right, of right action? Thinking, speaking, acting in appropriate ways. And the Buddha said, freedom from remorse. So freedom from remorse means there's, the mind isn't restless. It's like we don't have anything to worry about. So the mind is already moving towards calm. And what is the reward and blessing of freedom from remorse? Gladness, Ananda. Right? So the mind is glad, or the bliss of blamelessness, another way that the Buddha talked about that. So Ananda, being persistent. And what is the reward and blessing of gladness? And the Buddha responded, rapture, Ananda. And what is the reward and blessing of rapture, tranquility, Ananda. And what is the reward and blessing of tranquility? Happiness, Ananda. And what is the reward and blessing of happiness? Concentration, Ananda. And on and on like that until the full release of the heart. So even though it doesn't always sort of unfold in this perfectly linear way, there really is a sequential development of these wholesome qualities. Or another way of saying it, things are related to one another conditionally. So our unwholesome, agitated states of mind are maintained conditionally. It's not a it's sort of a random happening, but the agitation or the misperceiving or the heavy states of mind, they arise lawfully. And these wholesome states of mind arise lawfully. As Again, just to repeat, through the Buddha talked in another discourse that he knows of no other internal factor that leads to the arising and development and perfection of these wholesome states as appropriate attention. And he says, uh, I know of no other external factor that leads to the arising of these wholesome states than good friendship. And so that's sort of interesting. Like, I mean, it really makes sense. If we're around somebody really, really 
calm and serene, it's contagious. And if we're around somebody really agitated, it's contagious. Try to be around somebody really, really agitated for a long time, like a long car trip. <laughs> Maybe you can think of something like that, a time in your life like that, or you know, a weekend together with somebody who just has a lot of restlessness or a lot of agitation. And it doesn't really matter how together we are, we'll start, uh, especially if their agitation is strong, it will start affecting our mind and body. There's all kinds of uh, places where the, they talk about um, how to support the, the proximate causes. I'll, I'll just mention a few. They're useful to hear, I think. How to support the arising development of tranquility and calm. So this is, uh, these are just some thoughts from Jack Kornfield in one of his books. Spending time alone. And, uh, you know, of course, the Buddha highly recommended times of seclusion and, uh, you know, emphasized that the nuns and monks especially, as much as they could tolerate, to spend time uh, camping, basically, out in the forests in India. And they might get together with the other monks and nuns for periods of time. But being alone was highly recommended. And you know, if you've ever spent time alone, if you haven't, I'd, I'd recommend it. Like where you consciously go away by yourself somewhere. It uh, so much of what agitates the mind is is our relationships with other people, our interactions, I should say, with other people. You know, although we're social creatures, we're also uh, always part of that, you know, means that we're comfortable in groups, but part of it means we're always wondering how we're fitting in and comparing and, uh, you know, kind of wanting to maintain and fix the social order, patch it up, make it just right. So there's an endlessness about our social relating. It's like, when is our relationship really done? You know, there's always more to do with relating. So when we're away from that, it's like that whole part of our personality or part of our conditioning is just not being stimulated. I mean, of course, we can think about our relationships, but we can also convince ourselves or remind ourselves that, well, not now. It's not happening now. He says spending time in nature. And so this is related to being alone, but there's something settled when we look at a meadow or a lake or trees, look out into space on the side of a hill. There's something tranquil about the natural order of things. You know, when I walk around Common Ground, it's a relatively attractive building. You know, I see disorder. I see dust bunnies, and I see, 
you know, things that haven't been changed and should be changed and problems that need to be fixed. I walk from here to my house many times. I see all the sort of houses and all the problems. I see people. I see what, you know, I like and I see what I don't like. But we tend, that's not what we tend to see when we're out in nature. I mean, it's amazing. You never see, you know, when you look at a scene, whether it includes animals or not, it doesn't trigger a lot of judgment. Natural scenes do not trigger a lot of judgment in the mind. So they're inherently calming in that way. He talks about, Jack Merkel talks about going on retreat. And this is, and, and another, he makes another point too. He says, letting go of likes and dislikes, you know, as a practice. And retreat is really that way to a large degree because we don't get to control who our roommate is or the kind of bed we have or the kind of food we're eating or even to some degree the schedule we're keeping because it's all to some degree regimented. And so in the different places of your life where you have to submit, we can rebel, you know, we can be um, complaining about how our life is fixed in different ways. But we can also really appreciate how the different places in our life where we have to submit, how it really, it defines things in a nice way. Like, well, I, okay, if I really submit, like I'm married, if I really submit to that, there's something really calm about not being uh, sort of in that world of looking for a mate. It's like really nice not to be in that world. Or like if I'm really committed to this job, it means my mind doesn't need to think about what I should be doing for my livelihood or, you know, what am I meant to do? But I can just really commit. You know, same with the house. You know, I find it really useful to think, I mean, I don't know if I'll live in that house, my house for the rest of my life, but I find it useful to feel really good about like, well, I'm fine. If this is the only house I ever have, I'm totally okay with that. So that kind of commitment to living in this house as if it's the last house I'm going to live in. And it just, it's calming for the mind. So in many ways, when you go on retreat or going beyond likes and dislikes, notice how submission to form really helps calm the mind. Same thing with sitting, like if you decide you're going to sit for 30 minutes and you make a commitment to be still, it's really calming. It's like, it doesn't mean my body's going to necessarily feel good, but for this period of time, I'm just not going to move. I'm just going to accept however it is. You know, and you know, especially if you've been sitting for a while, you know the right amount of time where you can really sit without harming the body most days. And then you can really submit to it. And it's just so nice not to have to decide, well, should I do something about this sensation? Because the answer has already been decided. No, I'm just going to let the sensations be what they are, no matter what they are. For this period of time, I'm in this posture. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to answer phones, I'm not going to adjust my posture. It's such a relief to have submitted in that way. 
doing one thing at a time or slowing down, um, sort of preparing the mind not to be responsible for imperfections, our own imperfections that we see or imperfections around us. That, that just training the mind or just having that as a practice is very calming, not to have a problem with imperfections. So whatever imperfections we happen to come across, we're just going, we're already prepared. You know, well, yeah, that's how it is. Serene disenchantment. And then in the, in the uh, commentaries, they have some, I'll just mention them before we break up into small groups. Proper food, good climate, comfortable posture. Now, this is for sort of the development of tranquility. Neither over-enthusiasm or sloppiness, avoiding hot-tempered louts, <laughs> choosing calm, <laughs> kind friends, <laughs> inclining the mind towards peacefulness. So in our small groups tonight, um, you might want to bring to mind you know, any of the factors that you've been seeing or working with, but in particular, last week we talked about rapture. When we make a full commitment to anything in life, to mindfulness, presence, then we will, it, that full commitment sets something in motion that we call joy. It's an intensity of energy in the mind. That's what full commitment, that's what energy leads to, is uh, an intense, it intensifies life. It's an aliveness that naturally results from a wholesome commitment, giving ourselves fully, wholeheartedly to something wholesome leads to joy. And joy leads to serenity. So just any thoughts, any experiences about that commitment, joy, tranquility, those qualities, how they relate, what you see in the way, doubts you have about that, places in your life, both in your formal sitting time, but of course also in your daily life where you, you uh, see that, that capacity for full commitment, that joy or rapture, the serenity, the calm, the coolness of the heart. I don't know if I mentioned that, but often tranquility is uh, described as a coolness. Okay, so just reflect on that for a few seconds, and then we'll divide the group up into groups of three. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.